This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. For thousands of years, tales of tiny creatures living deep within the depths of abandoned mines and caverns have been recorded and later melded into myth and lore through the ages. From ancient Greece to pagan Europe, goblins have straddled the line between myth and reality. But do they truly exist? Join us on Into the Portal for part one of our investigation into the history, lore, and possible existence of tiny subterranean creatures that we know as goblins. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are back with a brand new adventure. Indeed. Wrapped up our Monkey God series and we are going into the world, the realm of goblins. Ooh, I like that. I like that phrasing. Yeah, Definitely yeah. <laughs> heading into the realm. But uh, as always, though, before we do, we have a tiny, tiny little bit of housekeeping and a couple of new reviews again, which is sweet. Um, a new one on the American iTunes from Rye Guy, Hi uh, titled Great Show, and he gave us five stars. So that was awesome. Thanks, man. Dope. He reads, um, they're a great podcast. You get lots of interesting topics that most other podcasts haven't covered, which is refreshing mm. and definitely not boring. So that's always a good, oh, that's, that's so always nice. two thumbs up. Um, um, and then they said he said that the hosts are very nice to talk to if you write them, which is really cool. We love it when people write into us, so please do that. Yeah, hit us up on Facebook or whatever you want. I think we were chatting with with Ra Guy on Facebook or something, and I think so. Yeah, um, we love it. We absolutely love the interaction. So thank you for that review, <laughs> Ra Guy. I was thinking to myself like, oh, wait, is it Ryan or does he just really like rye bread. bourbon or, or rye bread? Or no, <laughs> rye bourbon's made from rye, correct? Oh, I'm so like, I don't not, drink anything like that. So we need to hit up TJ from Pints and Puzzles. Yeah, yeah TJ. Yeah. And we also had another one, too, from the Canadian iTunes. And I just want to give a shout out to a good friend from uni way back in the day, Mark Cook. Yeah. He gave us a five-star review. He says, awesome show. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> we get that reference. Yes, we do. Uh, and I love this. Too. He's like, it's exciting and magical. <laughs> I Dang. love that. We're magical. That's awesome. <laughs> so thank you. And he just says, like, it's... Um, it made his commute thousand percent better. So Sweet. that's really cool. I'm happy we can do that for people. Definitely. That's what the show is kind of designed for, really. It is. Commuting for getting through your mundane tasks during the day and stuff totally. like that. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps her up. We are going to have our final coffee gator trivia question that's coming right. up at the break. So about halfway through, look forward to that because you guys only have one more week to get in your responses to and win. you can win this really cool french press yes totally so get like, those answers in don't be lazy the only thing it's funny because we've had we've had pretty fair response but to be honest like i expected people to be all over this like yeah. i thought it was gonna be like you know just like thou- not thousands of entries <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting ahead of myself but i don't know maybe it's like people have their own set way of making coffee and they're just like nope this is the way i do it i don't need a french it's press possible. and it's like whatever but like you guys, if you've never tried a French press, like if this is like a foreign thing to you, you need to try it. And if you can get a free one just for answering a freaking trivia question, then I would do it. So let's no do it. Yeah. One more week. Bada right. bang. Bada bang. <laughs> let's get into it. All right. So today, like Amber said, we're discussing, discussing, <laughs> discussing, we're discussing. It's a very disgusting topic. <laughs> well, some would argue that, I believe, but uh, <laughs> we are discussing the history and legends surrounding creatures that have become known as goblins. Mm-hmm. And this has kind of been a current events type thing for us and sort of the reason why we decided to do this uh, two-part series on goblins. Mm-hmm. But it's really, really fun and I'm stoked that we're Once doing you it. start digging into this, it's kind of ironic digging because mm. a lot of these things are on a row. But right. yeah, once you start digging into it, there's so much. And in 
all, all around the world, right? Like from ancient times all the way up to present day now. So that's kind of what we're doing is like a comprehensive overview of all of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is t- our typical style, Actually, I think. I mean, we like to go into the into the history first and then migrate into exactly. the possible real events of modern times and things like that. And this definitely deserves a two-parter too because even oh, as yeah. we delved into the more ancient side of things, like... Like I said, like there's so much of it, we're actually not going to be able to cover all of it in this part one. No, or anything like no, that, we so. won't. Which is which is exciting because there's just so much to get to. It's really cool. <laughs> and okay, so let's kick this off. It is like Amber said; these goblins and creatures like them go back a really long way, and it's possible to argue that these types of creatures have existed for thousands of years. Okay, they've been called different names and ascribed to sort of different levels of myth and legend whether we're referring to, you know, imps, fairies, trolls, even things like gargoyles and dragons and sort of creatures like this have evolved and changed over time to kind of take on different meanings and different contexts through storytelling, through real accounts at times, Mm -hmm. through written fables and stuff like that. So goblins are even now linked to the category of demons in some traditions. Definitely. So it's really evolved and changed a lot. Over and even the, linked uh, to that yeah. too, like you say demons and demonology and even just like um, witchcraft right. and all that kind of stuff. So it goes into the sort of mystical sort of occult realms, that type of thing, which you do get these sort of almost blurring of those categories you just mentioned, exactly. like elves, imps, trolls, all the stuff. And they can, they kind of blend together sometimes. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and that blending is what, you know, pulls us away from the belief that they could be based on something real. But oh, it's yeah. just a melding over time yeah. because everything originates from something, right? <laughs> so that's kind of what we're getting to into in this episode is what exactly are they then, right? Mm-hmm. What are they actually based on? And the ultimate question, do they exist <laughs> in any sort of physical way or metaphysical way? We'll, we'll get into that. Exactly. So the etymology of the word, etymology of the word, um, here's a quote from, this is just from the New World Encyclopedia of Goblin, on goblins. Uh, <laughs> According to some traditions, goblin comes from the word gob or gahob, G-H-O-B. I don't even know exactly how to pronounce that, I guess. But essentially, this is originating from the king of the gnomes. So this comes from Norse and Nordic folklore, uh, whose inferiors were called the goblins. Okay, Almost so. like that to me brings up like changeling, goblin, kind of like, you know, yeah. the, the ling kind of as like the, um, what's that called again? It's like the, not the antecedent, the, the, Ooh, uh, oh, gee, you know, like just the, the, the ending of a word. Right. <laughs> English minor. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Don't say that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's part of one of the origins of the word, but then there's also, there's various others too. Like there's the Latin, uh, goblinus, there's the Anglo-French goblin, um, which is probably the main source of the now the word we we use all mm-hmm. the time, goblin, coming from this sort of French Latin combination. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we're dealing with. I, I mean, we're going to make the argument that they could be real, mm-hmm. but we're dealing with creatures of myth. So, like many such creatures, there is no single version of goblin. The term is kind of more generic for. Not necessarily always small, but small creatures, small-ish creatures that live in dark places and have some, they make trouble. They cause (laughs) mischief. And in more recent years, the term has become concentrated on green creatures. Sometimes the skin or color varies, but green creatures that live in caves and terrorize people. Oh, interesting. Up until that point, I was like, man, that kind of described me when I was a little kid. <laughs> I don't even know. Just a little bit, eh? You're a little goblin. You know what's funny, though? Even going back to the etymology part of this, where, yeah, this Anglo-French and then a bit of that Latin influence, how you get this this goblin or gobel in some words. And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, my God, like, Yosef Gobels. <laughs> he was a bit of a goblin. He like, was indeed. He looked like one. He did. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so, but yeah, like what we're dealing with here are creatures that kind of straddle this line in between children's tales, myths, legends, and the very, the possibility that we're dealing with something very, very real being the basis for the belief in such creatures, which is very cool. Right. Like you just said, like everything starts from something. Right. And you'd think there would be some sort of foundation. uh, Something. And that's where we kind of are going way back with this, because like I already mentioned, ancient civilizations were well in tune with this sort of concept of the goblin and including civilizations of Greece, Rome, Egypt, China, India, all of these have mythologies of creatures that resemble something like a goblin, if not outright labeled as such. Very interesting. Yeah. And so this is where, again, we get into like, you were mentioning the whole, is it physical? Is it metaphysical? Because there is a blending of the earthly and spiritual realms in a lot of these sort of, um, the genesis of these mythologies and then the basis of all of it. Right. And 
yeah, so it's almost like they can, in some cases, it's like they can come and go as they please. So they're kind of more like, again, we'll get into the whole thing where they could maybe appear in cycles. Right, okay. Um, again, you could get things being invisible, then visible at different times. So there's that sort of aspect. A lot of binaries involved in this, so oppositions. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, this is interesting here. So this goes back to like even like paganism and all this kind of stuff. And when I was looking into really ancient so like almost like pre-paganism well i don't even know if you call it pre-paganism it's all paganism if it's not like a monotheistic kind of a, a configuration in a of sense but i mean you could i mean let's just call it pre-pagan mm-hmm. sure so this is very ancient going back to like times of greeks and i just got this from a website it was all talking about like the sort of more esoteric forms of this um goblin concept and and the more occult mystical side of things but anyway it says here occasionally as the result of atmospheric conditions or the peculiar sensitiveness of the devotee, so like the believer, right. they became visible. So they referring to the creature, the goblin. Right. A number of authorities are of the opinion that many of the gods worshipped by the pagans were elementals. We'll describe that a little bit better here. Um, for some of these... Invisibles were believed to be of commanding stature and of magnificent deportment. So again, like it's kind of equating this sort of weird sort of mystical realm of the goblin and these sort of weird, like even what you're saying, like the king of the goblins right. and how like the gob is that and then the limbs are like the inferior. Yes. So it's kind of like this idea, right? Because you get a lot of that, the demigod and then real gods and like all this, in, especially in the Greek configuration Absolutely. and Hellenic kind of gods and yes. that kind of thing. So I thought that was really interesting how maybe what they perceived to be gods were actually these things that we now think of as these sort of like weird nefarious creatures. That's an interesting idea. That can kind of mess with our lives potentially. Right. Not. And creatures that were clearly linked to the elements, right? The elementals. Mm-hmm. And then even interesting more enough, it says the Greeks here gave the name demon spelled d-a-e-m-o-n to some of these elementals so these kind of blurrings of the earthly spiritual realm creatures and especially to those of the higher order so there's uh like we'll get into there is definitely like almost like a hierarchy or like a spectrum of these creatures right anyways and then they worship them so that's kind of interesting so you get this early 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 ancient sort of perception right of something that that's well, I mean, yeah, hard that, to explain. To it a is kind extent. of hard to explain. But this elementals, just to kind of, we'll get into it a little bit more when we get into like the Middle Ages and and um, again more occult mysticism and potentially some alchemy. Yeah, a little alchemy for yeah, sure. But we'll leave it at that. Elementals just meaning like the elements, so like earth, air, fire, and water. water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, yeah, just specific to Greek mythology, <laughs> there was um. This one creature in particular called the, oh my gosh, Kobalos or Kobaloi? Kobaloi, Kobaloi. Yeah. And again, very much like a goblin, not called that outright, but um, it was a sprite-like creature. So again, we're going to see lots of interchangeable terms here. Imps, fairies, sprites, all that kind of stuff. Kind Definitely. Of, kind of are all in the same sort of category. Mm-hmm. Or meta category. Um, but anyways, this is, these, these in particular, these Kobalos of Greek mythology were evoked by the followers of the god Dionysus. Right. And they were these, yeah, exactly, pranksters, tricksters, and they would actually aid the god Dionysus in his endeavor. So that's kind of interesting. Pretty unique. That is interesting. And we've referenced um, Dionysus before, Dionysus before. Yeah. Um, The god of wine, of um, fertility, I think, I I, I believe, um, came up in the, our first ever episode with the oracle, I think, in the lost army of Cambyses. I believe well, there's the Oracle up. of Amon, and was the Oracle of Dionysus There was as well? something else linked to that. Something like that, anyway, yeah. Anyway, go back and listen to that and check it out, people. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's others as well. Like, so the Greeks obviously have various different creatures, and there was this other one called the uh, Serapis, which is essentially like an imp-goblin, or well, a pair of imp-goblin brothers, yeah. <laughs> um, who were known as proverbial liars, cheats, and accomplished, basically... They were they were thieves and Nave. mischief makers, right? I love that word, knaves. Um, yeah, that is a funny word. In one tale, they were actually responsible for actually stealing Hercules' weapons. So they were able to mess with demigods, right? They're, exactly. they're linked to these demigods. And in, 
beneficial ways and, and, and nefarious ways as well. It's also ambiguous in Greek mythology because even the gods, right? The gods are not all powerful. They're not all knowing. They make mistakes all the time. So yeah. that kind of plays into it more. I feel Definitely. Like. But there was this other one here, though. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, we have the Kalikanzaros, which are more, like, yeah, they're in the Hellenic world again. So Greek tradition, Mediterranean realm. Yes. And these, again, were sort of like the more modern interpretation of goblins that we kind of are seeing today. Yeah. Loosely referencing Hopkinsville. Okay, and, okay. Um, Kentucky. But anyways, um, yeah, so these were, again, very early goblin-like creatures with very specific characteristics and sometimes animal attributes too and these greeks have imagined them like having like different parts of different animals which i'm not sure that's just part of it like they're mostly described as being human-like well that's just it though like you get this blurring so you get it's like a demon again in the sense where it could have say horse legs and then like a human like deformed face right or it could have boar tusks or it could have like a completely hairy body and it's like they're all very small in stature and they all smell horrible (laughs) they smell right that was one of their attributes that's so bizarre right yes and so they're often predominantly described as male and they have very obvious sexual characteristics that you can see. Okay. And, which is weird, right? You'd think if there is an actual race of these things, there has to be a female side too. Unless they're like... Asexual. Oh, like, I didn't know that, what is it, reptiles can produce certain asexually? Ones, yeah, certain I did ones. not know that until like two, <laughs> like this last week even. Yeah, just like Godzilla in that, in that uh, 2000 remake. Creepy, man. Pretty cool. I Maybe. don't think these things can do that. <laughs> no. But the, the, the overall thing is that they are humanoid, but with these animal attributes and that they have long black tails and That's kind the, of resemble devils. Right. It's kind of this thing. And, oof even more creepy is that they're mostly blind well they're said to live underground right so it's like they have different sense <gasps> that like reminds moles. me of the descent yes those freaky ass things oh my god we should cover that on film friday that was no that movie terrifies me to my core i can't watch that movie. <laughs> all the more reason to watch it my dear <laughs> i'm already having a panic attack just thinking about well, it well <laughs> yeah that definitely would fall into sort of the similar category right and it would make sense i mean if these things are underground dwellers um mm-hmm. they wouldn't be obviously exposed to light and uh, that would be a characteristic they would have. That makes sense. And they eat some weird things, too, in sort of the Greek tradition. Well, like, no wonder they smell so horrible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're eating frogs, worms, other small creatures. That And, and it makes sense. These aren't mm-hmm. sort of weird things that you would associate with a cave-dwelling creature. These are mm-hmm. typical things you'd be like, if this is a real thing, what would it live off of? Okay, well, maybe mm-hmm. these, maybe this is it. So it's sort of realistic aspects of the folklore, too. You know yeah. what I mean? And this is all very specific to this Greek Kalikanzaros. That's right. But I think you can apply it more generally as well. Right. Mm-hmm. There's some other aspects about these Greek goblins too, and I'm not even going to keep pronouncing the, the word because it's I suck at it. <laughs> Kalikanzaros. But they, they, they have some sort of similar characteristics to other goblin-like creatures um, and other things that set them apart as well. So one thing that's unique about them is they appear in cycles and they're kind of fleeting, right? Like you can't find them all the time. You can't see them all the time. Mm-hmm. And this sets them apart from other goblin-like creatures because they were said to appear on Earth for only 12 days each year. Hmm. So this is obviously a part of the myth about it and not necessarily okay. the direct sightings and stuff. But yeah, it's 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 really interesting. We do see with other type creatures, they also appear in cycles, but not necessarily on this 12 days or associated with religion and other things. But I'm referencing some more modern accounts. We'll get into part two. Mm-hmm. But these creatures often do appear in cycles. They which seem is, to. Which is very strange. Exactly. They're also said to live, of course, underground, which we've referenced already, and they usually stay underground and only come up at night. Mm-hmm. So here's the light thing again. Okay. If you're believing the idea that they're blind, they're right, they're cave dwelling creatures. Right. They're cave dwelling. I thought I read something too about like they can't be exposed to sunlight or they can, similar to troll lore, where they can turn right. to stone or like explode or like that type of thing. And they are they are linked to troll and and that type of lore uh, through the Middle Ages. And Mm -hmm. we'll get into that in a sec. But um, yeah, so living underground and the mythology of them being underground is that they were being seen as sawing the world tree so that it would collapse along with the earth. So the world tree, that basically means it's it's a tree holding up the world. Right. So they're sawing the trunk of the tree and... And it's really interesting because this plays into the 12 days of Christmas. So Yuletide, all this kind of stuff. 
but which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. The okay. Do you, do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, then? I think that's maybe. Is because, there anything else you want to reference? Okay, we sure. Like, well, okay, just to kind of yeah, just to tee that up. So these legends of the Kalikanzaros and these Greek goblins, they migrated into these ancient pagan beliefs, and paganism and this esoteric philosophy linked with paganism became associated with these creatures and the existence of like Amber referenced before the elemental beings that coexist on different astral planes in one dimension or another. Mm-hmm. So we are getting into interdimensional ideas mm-hmm. with this as well. Um, only perceptible to certain people, generally children, which yeah. is interesting, and that is another the most crossover sensitive. too, mm-hmm. right? And we see that with lots of paranormal phenomena. And but. they do reference to like children and shamans, so people that are more in tune right. with what's going and, on. And specifically shamans are the ones who are good at crossing over these ethereal planes, right? They go, they astral go planes. astral planes, mm-hmm. right? Sorry, rather, they are able to connect to the other side. Children yeah. are able to see it. And then when you do get into this sort of lore too, uh, and the whole 12 days of Christmas, it's almost very similar to like the All Hallows Eve, where it's like, it's, um, it's like the blurring of the astral and earthly realms have, right. are, they're closer together. Exactly. So things can cross over quite easily. And then like you said, yeah, the shamans are quite, they can grasp that and, and are able to sort of use that more, more easily as well. Yeah, they have the tools to, uh, the processes uh, nailed down, you know? Totally. So yeah, so we've referenced, it's the 12 days of Yuletide later on. In the Greek tradition, it would have been winter solstice. The solstice, right. Exactly. So yeah, so later evolved into Yuletide in medieval times. And then these, um, you know, we've already referenced the whole downing of the world tree, but it's interesting because it the story goes is that just as they're about to saw the final part of the tree, that's when Christmas dawns and they're able to come to the surface. And so that is what stops them from actually bringing about the mortal end of the earth. Right. And it's interesting. And then they just kind of resume after the 12 days are over, which is weird. It's like, you'd think, oh, the tree just regrew in those 12 days. <laughs> that like, was fast. <laughs> Miracle grow. Yeah. But yeah, like we said, like they only come out at night again. And it's kind of creepy. All of this right now, because I was really digging on the Sabrina series that came out on Netflix not too long ago. Yeah. And I, so much of this is just queuing in my mind, like so many things that happened in that series. But for example, these Calcanzaros in particular, but not to say like there's other types of goblins that would come out around this time as well that would mm-hmm. do similar things but this is a quote from <laughs> greeker than the greeks it says here the calicanzaros <laughs> come out of hiding at night to enter houses in any way they can through windows down chimneys through keyholes and any cracks they may find in walls and around doors once inside they cause havoc oh, well. so we saw a very similar example of that in sabrina there were several examples of goblin-like creatures there was one that essentially put you under a spell where you're put to sleep and they kind of like steal your soul or something. I can't remember how that actually played out. Yeah. And I think like, it's important to, because like, this is where we get the crossover with goblin and demon. Yeah. Right. This is this, this is this blending Mm -hmm. because it's like, it's a physical creature like in Sabrina where it's like a sleep demon. They called it a sleep demon. Right. But, very much similar to the, the goblin-like creatures. Demon. The physical appearance is goblin-like. Exactly. Right? The, the, um, and it's not a demon like you get referenced in like uh, other like horror movies yeah. where it's like a demon possessing something else yeah. or this, that. It's more metaphysical. Oh, exactly. And then even to continue on with that in this new Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, <laughs> there's another example of goblins. And that comes about in the actual, in the um, pilot episode, familiars are goblins weird right cool man like that is really neat and again they are these elemental beings and they just inhabit the physical bodies of animals so sabrina has salem her cat and uh, is essentially the supernatural entity that assists in the practice of magic right and can affect the weather and again here can actually bring witches to the sabbat which is that uh, ceremony thing yes it says here an astral or physical familiar helps direct manipulations of natural energies of stones, herbs, astrological aspects of the four elements. And some familiars are described as humanoid, almost monstrous. Interesting. (laughs) I thought that was so cool. I was like, oh my God, Salem, you're a goblin, what? (laughs) Well, that (laughs) links back to the Greek goblins too that we just referenced too, because like we said, they're typically being seen as... The animalistic attributes. Exactly. They're typically seen as human-like, but they can have animalistic attributes. That connects to this. 
so cool. And then I was reading this. This was just from Den of Geek, this article talking about Sabrina. And there was this connection to the Bible they brought up in the article. And it's really interesting here. It says here, this is a quote. They had referenced, um, oh, this, it was actually a, a coven member. Her name was Christine Steffens. Okay. And she was talking about how the earliest mention of a familiar that she was aware of was actually in the Christian Bible. And she um, quoted Leviticus twenty twenty seven, which says, A man also or a woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. Ooh. <laughs> so it's pretty dark, man. So I was like, okay, well, okay. So the Bible's talking yeah. about this. You get this in a lot of the occult, witch, sorcery, that type of world, which is so cool. Definitely. As soon as I started seeing that stuff, though, about like the astral planes, right? Because there's a lot of astral projection that happens in Sabrina, too. Yes. So we're getting this blurring, and they do reference again a lot of this the astral realm and the earthly realm and how they kind of interplay. Right. And that's where you get these these visible and then invisible sort of manifestations of these occult creatures or whatever. Totally. And not only, not only that, but then that, that ties into where they come from too. And, and the portal or doorway potentially of where they're coming from being similar to them themselves. Like it, it appears and disappears, right? Or it's, it's open for a wind, like during a wind, a certain window, but then it's not. Exactly. Oh, totally. So, Okay, so we're kind of, we're, we're moving away from the Greek goblins here a little bit mm-hmm. and into sort of the early pagan Middle Ages where goblin lore was really developing into larger meta themes of mythology here. Mm-hmm. So like we said kind of before, goblins, much like trolls and other creatures, were typically designated to myth and they would be dispersed in stories and traditions uh, for centuries as they were passed along through folklore and this all evolved, but... It was also at this point during this evolution where the hardcore stories <laughs> about goblins, the classic legends about goblins would be spread mm. in this sort of early European era, right? So in early European, in early medieval, I should say, folklore, let's, mm-hmm. let's go with the term medieval. Okay. Goblins were described in more detail. Okay. okay. So they were like the Greek ones described as small humanoid monsters mm. in this case. <laughs> they were said to vary in height from three to three and a half feet tall and weigh an estimated, what is it here, 40 to 45 pounds <laughs> based on their proportions. And their Little proportions children. were always very odd. Like they would have weird kind of shaped, almost like goiter-like things or pot bellies. You know what I mean? Like they weren't a goiter yeah like they had they were weird shapes just like big like uh, tumors everywhere and, <laughs> almost oh, kind of reminds me of orcs and like very much so totally and mm-hmm. those things were made in the earth too right totally. they're elemental beings in a sense as well oh, they've got like their weird little plasma sack things that they get like ripped out of and <laughs> <laughs> gross yummy so okay where was it here so, okay, Attributes. 40 to 45 pounds. They're obviously walking upright. Their arms nearly reach their knees, so they got these long arms. Their eyes vary from red to yellow, and they're believed to have diets that consist of meat, roots, and fungi. <laughs> so, again, very likely, just sort of just, you know, yeah. like... I don't even know. Like, it sounds... It's all, like, the gross stuff, though. It's, like, meat. It's probably, like, rotten meat with, like, maggots in it. And, like, the roots. Like, the grossest roots possible. And then fungi, of course, because fungi is just gross. Right. Even though it's delicious. Yeah, it can be delicious. <laughs> so, there's, yeah. So, we, we, we get a sort of general idea here. And, of course, we all know that they have crooked teeth and sort of, you know, they're yellow and they're, they're monstrous looking. Anything to make them more hideous. And that was actually a key word. Like, how you said, like, that now they're described as monsters. Right. So, you get... Almost like a more of a separation from the human to the like to the other kind yes. of thing, where it's othering of these creatures more so. Definitely. When in the even more early ancient traditions, they were more accepted. I almost feel like because they're almost this could be a demigod like status or helping the gods or anything like that, like seen as some, like, servants or assistants. Definitely. As less less like things to be outright feared right mm-hmm. and i and that's that right there is the evolution of religion right because it's like the more connected to the earth and the solstice and and different transitions and things like that and then moving into being way less of that stuff and more mm. just like here's a book read what's in it that's what's good not that's even. what's bad we were not that yeah, yet but not I even mean, that i'll read it for you and tell you what to think right there <laughs> yeah because people couldn't read exactly right and they used gargoyles and these types of creatures to tell the stories totally of, and they didn't want people to read because then they would form their own opinions of the bible and what it was saying and people didn't want that the church wanted to tell them what the bible was supposed to tell them right <laughs> 
Okay, let's get back to Goblins Sorry. here. No, 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 oh not gosh, at all. Gosh. This is all on topic. We're not even off topic. I, I feel like we do that. We, we, <laughs> hardly, hardly. So, okay, they also have some spe- specifics about how they sound. So they don't necessarily speak English, but they are said to have coarse, raspy-sounding voices that are high-pitched, which makes sense for their size. Speaking, okay, so sometimes speaking human languages along with their own language. So it kind of is just like this incomprehensible, weird, whatever, right? So some are said to possess this cunning intellect. Other stories, we get them where they're not that intelligent. They're more almost akin to trolls, where they're not as smart. Interesting. But these ones obviously are and were feared in sort of the medieval times, right? Cunning intellect. Yeah, that's... that's... And you mentioned it before, too, but post-paganism, goblins were becoming more associated with uh, Halloween in Europe, too. So Mm. very much like the solstice, where they... And, you know, same thing in Halloween. The veil is made thin. Exactly. Mm. The veil is thin. So, yeah. I mean, in a traditional sense, we could see... The goblin is very much like those other creatures we talked about in our history of Halloween episode and the spirit world becoming, you know, visible. Exactly. Oh, that's so cool. But we're kind of, there's something here though that we discovered kind of halfway through our research. Yeah. Um, uh, This is the alchemy connection that we kind of teed up earlier. Exactly. And we're going to get right into that. But before we do. Right. Before we do, we have a quick promo break for Coffee Gator. So as always, you can get 15% off your purchase from Coffee Gator when you enter promo code QUARK, spelled Q-U-A-R-K, at checkout. This company is amazing. You guys go check out what they have to <laughs> have to offer. It's really cool high-end stuff. Super, but super not, high-end. But not crazy prices. No. And then with 50% off, like you're saving the tax plus a little bit more. Definitely. So, yeah. It's pretty sweet. Okay. And, of course, you can always win a free one because we have <laughs> our final question of the Coffee Gator trivia contest. And this one's coming from our Lore of the Gollum episode. Are you ready for this, Amber? Oh, I'm ready. All right. What was the name of the rabbi who created the infamous Golem of Prague in the 16th century? You guys know this one. Yeah, you know it. So submit your answers to intotheportal.com under the first tab, Coffee Gator Trivia Contest, for your chance to win a stainless steel French press from Coffee Gator. It's the very last week to get your answers in, people. And you can still answer the previous questions, too. Mm -hmm. So hop on it. One more week. a free French press. It's closed up forever. Until we do another contest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to the show. So, according to Brit- Britannica, this is just a straight definition here, the term gnome was popularized in mainstream culture through the works of 16th century Swiss alchemist Paracelsus, who everybody listening to our show will be familiar with because mm-hmm. we've referenced him quite a few times. So, Paracelsus referenced these things in which gnomes were described as capable of moving through solid earth as a fish moves through water. He actually classified these beings in accordance with each element of earth. The four, or, so like, what, like we just said, so mm-hmm. earth, wa- uh, earth, fire, water, air. Air. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. So, we've got this so alchemy gnomes. connection. Yeah, so gnomes as attached to the earth um, element. And then we have the others. So we have like undines, which I don't even know what those are, salamanders, and then sylphs, which again, we didn't really get into that, but we into the gnomes here. So Paracelsus, interesting character. He had a lot of crazy kooky ideas and uh, we did reference him quite a bit when we were talking about homunculuses. That's right. And that was the artificial man that's created in a test tube, essentially. That's which right. we actually can do today. <laughs> in a sense, <laughs> In yeah. a sense, Just but not in the way that they were doing it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no uh, dragon's tears or what was it? Dragon's blood or like a heart Dragon's of... blood and... Uh, or it was Siemens. dust. It was dragon dust. Oh, there was fairy dust too, wasn't there? Or something? Or no, stardust. Stardust. There was all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. But essentially, yeah. So he had this very interesting idea that tying into the whole occult sort of mystical alchemist kind of pre-scientific sort of way of thinking. It was kind of like this idea that there is a binary nature to these elements. So like we said, like to air, fire, wind, water, and that there's a visible and an invisible side to reality and to nature and all this kind of stuff. And like ancient philosophers were all about this. And like they were totally of the mind that, yeah, these four elements could almost be defined as like having a subtle vaporous side and a gross corporeal substance. So I'm almost going to just really dumb that down and be like, there's the soul and there's the body. There's the intangible and the tangible side of all things, all these elements. And then of course, everything that we see in the world is made up of these four elements, according to this sort of pre, like sort of occult way of thinking. Sure. 
Um, so again, yeah, so like minerals, plants, animals, men all live in this world composed of the gross side of these four elements. So the corporeal side, the right. body. the physical side. Exactly. But... This is a quote. Just as visible nature is populated by an infinite number of living creatures, so, according to Paracelsus, the invisible spiritual counterpart of visible nature, composed of these tenuous principles, is inhabited by a peculiar host of beings, which he has given these elements. So that's where we get the gnomes, the salamanders, the whatever. And so essentially, okay. So he taught, her Paracelsus taught that they were actually living entities, these things that were basically inhabiting a world of their own, unknown to man, because his undeveloped senses are incapable of functioning beyond the limitations of the grosser elements. So it's almost like he's trying to say that we, being physical beings in a physical world, aren't really seeing the full metaphysical side of it. Right. And that there is a, a counterpart. It's like there's the yin and the yang, and we're only in the yin side, and there's this whole other part. So I thought that was really cool. I am 100% on board with that Right? Idea. Yes. And that's, I feel like that's just another variation of, say, the interdimensional hypothesis. In a sense, like mm -hmm. if you wanted to phrase it that way, it almost could be phrased in another way. Like that almost implies that there is a hard portal or gateway or doorway or something like that. Maybe it isn't quite like that. The way he's almost describing it is that it's just existing. It just is and I we almost, just can't see. Exactly. I almost see it as like an overlay. So it's like you get different layers and then we're seeing one layer, but then there's like all these other ones that are kind of, you can flip down right. and it would just add to the whole picture. So again, I was kind of going down this road. <laughs> This alchemy road. Rabbit and I, hole. I came across this thing, and I'm just going to call it the primordial goo. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it to me the other day, that was like, the primordial goo. <laughs> you can't help but say it like that, really. No, it's so great. And it's interesting because, um, again, like, this is almost like one of, considered the building blocks of life, this goo. And, like, I would say that this... Um, it's sort of a divergence for what I was just talking about. But it, again, it's like this idea, it's like the physical part of what makes up life. And then there's another aspect to it too. But this is a quote from Henry Drummond. And he wrote a book called The Natural Law and the Spiritual World. And so he was talking about these building blocks of life and how these different elements kind of work to form this kind of thing and how we get this primordial goo that's like the foundation of life. Mm -hmm. So anyways, he said here, um, if we analyze this material point at which all life starts, we shall find it to consist of a clear, structureless, jelly-like substance resembling albuum or white of egg. It is made of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. I'm just going to pause there because they actually, the modern interpretation of the four elements is this, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. So carbon is earth, hydrogen's water, oxygen's air, nitrogen's fire. Right. All right. Just continue his quote. Um, its name is protoplasm. <laughs> so that's the structural unit. Right. And okay. it is not the only structural unit with which all living bodies start in life, but with which they are subsequently built up from. So again, it's just like the building block. I just thought that was so funny. Again, it is kind of a divergence when we're actually talking about with goblins and stuff, but, the, but again, really, it ties though. into how this all sort of the mindset of the alchemist, right? And the occult sort of way of thinking about this. And I just thought it was so cool. So... <laughs> I don't see it as a divergence at all. I, I like, I, yeah, I, I think this is directly linked. Mm -hmm. That's why, I, that's why I see it. I'm glad you found this quote. That's that's really, really cool. It's interesting, right? And again, like, it really, I was just like, oh my god, this homunculus written all over it. <laughs> totally the, does. Yeah, the we, clear, structureless, jelly-like substance. Well, even just the reference to like the white of an egg and how that was part of the actual process with the homunculus and like, yeah. creating a little. So you can kind of see again. You can sort of piece together how Paracelsus was perceiving how life is formed and, yes. and how the world functions and stuff. Right. I thought this was just very, very telling. Definitely. Um, I, I, I love that though. The idea that these goblin creatures can actually come from the invisible part, the, the astral plane or the astral realm, and then kind of just right. come and, and kind of, yeah. Which is, which is how they're described in the old world and modern accounts of interactions with creatures that we would describe as goblins. Mm -hmm. So it is very much like this. So it's just different generations, different eras of thinking about the same thing. Pretty much. Different epistemologies, right? Absolutely. And, and, and uh, Paracelsus had a unique 
obviously like orientation in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to, I think, well, that's just it. We don't even know if he, like, wasn't Paracelsus the one where he, he could have even been like a, a transvestite possibly like um, in secret and like things oh, like that. He, there he, was something like that. He yeah. was, um, he, he had a very different perspective on the world at that time as an alchemist <gasps> than others would have. Oh, he was Right, that's, that's what, it was. what it was. Okay, yeah. so that that was just one thing though too. Like he, or they he, theorized he could have been a hermaphrodite. Right, he was seeing the world differently. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on a different page than other people. Yeah, I think he was able to possibly yeah tap into some things that other people weren't for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. <laughs> but yeah, let's get back into goblins a little bit more here. Goblins and some yeah. of their attributes and characteristics. We've touched on a few. Okay, let's get into the whole specifics about this whole dwelling underground. Yes, because that, that is really interesting. And when I was looking to this, I found some wealth myth wealth 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 mythology. <laughs> Apparently, I just developed a list. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> Welsh mythology. <laughs> Nice. So, yeah, these were creatures, uh, goblin-like creatures known as Coblinau, and again, lived underground. These yeah. can only be described as goblins, even though they weren't outright referred to it, but they populated mines, quarries, underground regions, so caves, natural or man-made. And they were, again, about half a meter tall, so pretty short. Yeah. Uh, very ugly to look at. Generally good-natured, though. Okay. So that's just it. That's kind of, oh, okay. And then this is where we're getting into the knocker goblins. So yes. this is like kind of a nickname for them, the Coblinau. But these knocker goblins inhabit caves and mines. And they essentially give a knocking or a rapping sound that will let miners know um, with the whereabouts either of a rich vein of ore or if they're not feeling so pleasant, they can actually cause cave-ins of mines too. Right. Yeah. Depending on their mood that day. Yeah. There was this guy, Wirt Silks, or sorry, Wirt Sykes, and he was actually, he wrote a book in the 1880s, or was it the 1880s or 1980s? I think it was 1980s. Okay. I miss, miss put that down. But he, it was like this book called British Goblins, even though he probably should have just called it Welsh Goblins. And he kind of thought that this Coblinau or Coblin has a double meaning and could be an original source of goblin. Which okay. I think he was kind of that's a little too modern. Yeah, you know what I mean, like we've that's just one very exactly. It's a very specific reference, I guess. Right. So if you're going to talk about knocker goblins in specific, maybe Coblinau was the first generation of that, mm-hmm. and then later on was just called knockers. But um, yeah, you do get lots of connections to this underground tunnels, mines, depths of the earth. And this is where these creatures are coming from. So they're originating from it. This really reminds me of, um, the Mosquita and Mayan sort of ancient ideas of the afterlife, right? Because they were thinking that people go back to the earth when they die. Into caves. Into the caves, into the mountains, into the darkness. Interesting, As opposed to going up into, like, the heavenly realm or whatever. That's cool. So, like, then Hmm. on the flip side here, we're getting Welsh things coming together. Not even just Welsh. This is just one whatever. But that's actually kind of an interesting connection there. Yeah, it is. But anyways, yeah. So... (sighs) There's all sorts, like there isn't just these knockers or these coblinows or whatever. There's also one called the, oh my God, I'm going to butcher this. The Black Wipanod? I'm, I'm <laughs> p- picturing as the uh, Boabachod. Boabachod. Oh, actually, that makes sense. Yeah, Boabachod. Another sort of friendly goblin uh, that can help you out with chores at home <laughs> or on the farm, like making butter, as long as you behave and, and kind of reward them correctly. Interesting. So, so these like, are. What does that remind you of? brownies yeah it reminds me of the menahune definitely um again it reminds yeah very similar to brownies very similar to house elves in harry potter yeah they're ugly but they're nice and just yeah so if they do you a favor you must repay them by leaving out cream or another treat or something like that and there was this one really funny little (laughs) anecdote here about the what did you call them (laughs) blackbarad the blabachod yeah that makes sense okay so this is a quote it was about a baptist preacher so there was once a Baptist preacher in Car- Cardiganshire who was much fonder of prayers than of ale. So a Bwakanod, Bwak, I don't even know, it's just like a Bwabak, Bwabak, that makes sense. Yep. So that's a singular. Okay, so Bwabak took to pestering him while he prayed. So again, they can be nefarious in the sense that they'll kind of jerk you around a little bit, yep. but they're not going to like 
not gonna, they're not gonna like, hurt you exactly they're not gonna like set your house on fire right <laughs> but anyways yeah it took to pestering him while he prayed jerking the stool from under him jangling the fire irons in the hearth making the dogs howl frightening the farm boy to fits of screaming by grinning through the window <laughs> at last the wabak took on the exact aspect of the preacher and confronted him as he crossed a field the preacher fainted in fright when he eventually came to, he had packed up and left Cardenshire never to return. <laughs> so that's like reading as like a fairy tale or like a folktale, but there's bits in there that are really significant, right? Like the grinning through a window at a child. Yeah. Um, the shape-shifting element even potentially as That well. shape-shifting, yeah. He took on the exact aspect of the preacher. What does that remind me of? Confessions of a Justified Sinner? Right? Ah, Where he is basically the guy that's like pursued by his own doppelganger, essentially, but it's like a demon that just takes on his countenance. And it's like this whole crazy gothic era story. But, anyways, that reminded me of that. You get a lot of really interesting, um, in that particular story, the confessions of a justified sinner, you get a lot of people passing by and seeing the doppelganger as they pass and like all these scenes. So, like that confronted him as he crossed a field that like could be an exact scene in that book. That's really cool, Lots though. of crossover we're finding here. Yeah. All right, so moving on from the Welsh, we're going into Germanic goblins. Right. These guys known as the kobolds, which are really... So they very kind closely of, linked to the Greek ones, right? Well, exactly, yeah. I was just going to say, like, they almost kind of originated in the Greek tradition, but then were more so popularized in the Germanic tradition. Yes. But again, yeah, very similar etymology to the Greek ones. They're, kobold is actually the German word for goblin. Right. So, and oh, yeah, we actually had a reference here to the red cap goblins of Britain, which we didn't really look into, but apparently they're very similar. Again, kind of like a brownie where they can attach themselves to households and then they're fairly ambivalent. Like they can be nice. They can do pranks. Like they can switch out the salt for the sugar or that type of thing or mm-hmm. whatever, but they could also be even kind and play with the children or whatever. All right. So, <laughs> sorry. I feel like I'm just... That's okay. Wait a second here. Take a breath. Take a breath. Take a breath. Take a drink of my my awesome mocha. It's actually kind of cold now, but whatever. There you go. We we love our coffee in case you guys haven't noticed, obviously. Keeps the show going. It does. (laughs) Especially because we're recording on a Sunday morning. Well, Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. Coffee gator keeping us going. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So getting into the whole 13th century, there were many Germanic presents that would carve cobalt effigies into their homes. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. And I actually saw an anecdote. I don't know if we actually wrote this in the notes here, but there was this one sort of thing to like keep a cobalt from entering your house, put out a colander and the cobalt can't actually count past three, but he'll try and count the holes in the colander and he'll sit outside your doorstep all night because he can't get past two. Right. I think it was something to do with the... The number three is like a holy number. It's like the Holy Trinity. And if he said it out loud, he would actually burst or like explode or so something. So this is that obviously that's very, re- the connotation is religious there. Like that yeah. these things are de- demonic, mm-hmm. right? They're the opposite of what exactly. religion is preaching and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. That's really cool though. Why would they carve these kobolds into their homes? I wonder. Hey? Well, like, I feel like um, very much like uh, in some of the Greek traditions and stuff we were referencing before, like in the ancient pagan beliefs they would have been almost even similar to gargoyles in a sense like you carve these creatures onto oh, your home and it's almost it's like a protective a, kind of thing yeah like kind of like that yeah. kind of like almost like um having an evil eye in your very house much like that kind of keep the evil at bay yeah that's cool so again we do get another reference to mines underground places they are said to originate from these places they come up from there and they'll play these tricks like we said mm-hmm. and there's actually okay so cobalt's <laughs> the element cobalt was actually kind of inspired or derived from kobolds. And in part, okay, so we get this nefarious sort of trickster sort of danger element with kobolds. And essentially with the element cobalt, you get the same thing because it's usually when you find it in the ground, it's surrounded by arsenic. Right. So highly poisonous. And again, like sort of like it's this tricky sort of thing where it's like oh we gotta get the cobalt but we need to do that anyway mm-hmm. yeah that's a really poor way of explaining that <laughs> no but i mean like it is interesting right because it's like kobolds like okay so if the if these creatures are inspiring the name because they are like dwelling in this place and they're sometimes dangerous i guess is the is the exactly. reference there, right yeah so just very loose whatever kind yeah of whatever but there are tales of dangers associated with insulting these kobolds and how yeah they can actually kind of 
they kind of morphed into like ill omens and yes. like death, not death omens particularly, but they could, I guess, potentially. There was one story written by this guy. It was a folklorist named Thomas Knight Knightley. And he described a kobold named Hodakin. And essentially this Hodakin kobold was insulted by a kitchen boy. <laughs> and, and then I guess the head cook refused to punish the boy so in the dead of night, Hodakin actually beat the boy, tore him from limb to limb, and then added him to the pot of food cooking in the hearth. Yummy. And then the cook was killed for chastising the kobold's behavior. So the kobold gets away with all, I guess. <laughs> See, that is the most uh, aggressive story that we've come across That's so harsh. far in relation to goblins. So maybe kobolds will let your house on fire. I don't know. Dang. So these, <laughs> these creatures can get a little... Uh... A little nasty. More than a little nasty, yeah. Yeah. That's gross, yeah. Rip him from limb to limb, hey, just because he insulted him? Jeez. This is like Old Testament. Seriously. (laughs) So, okay, so, so far we've had references like this that are kind of more more folkloric, right? Like more like fairy tales, potentially. Mm -hmm. No real hard evidence or anything like that. And I've got some potential sightings here. They don't have... I mean, again, you're just kind of taking it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, but they are really interesting That's because cool. we're moving into more real. That's here. what I... Yeah, I want to get into that because I feel like we have a lot of the background, but we don't have a lot of the stories. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, people believe in these creatures, but again, yeah, it's just it's just background, the story. So, okay. So, in 1819, um, this is my first thing I pulled up. There was an English painter, an occultist, an astronomer by the name of John Varley, Okay. He claimed to have seen a goblin in his home, and he would often complain about seeing spirits, um, but his friends didn't actually see him as being crazy, which is what most people would say. would be like, oh, you're always seeing spirits, so you're probably hitting the bottle a little too hard, you know what I mean? But during, he, he was super into the occult, and mm-hmm. during seances that he was participating in, in sometime between 1819 and 1820, within his f- home, not only him, but his friend by the name of William Blake... Described no. encountering spirits, entities, and goblins. And when Varley asked him to actually draw what he saw in his vision, he drew a very, very, very oh. ominous, terrifying-looking goblin-like creature. That's and we will huge. put that up on our website for you guys to take a look at. We'll probably put it out on our social media as well. That's massive. William Blake? Yes. That's incredible. Uh, Red Dragon and the Woman Clothed in Sun? <laughs> that's a really famous painting by William Blake, uh, featured in Red Dragon. Um, there you go. Part of the Hannibal series. So he painted um, a goblin that he saw. Oh my goodness. This is also just picturing in my head, like the stuff, uh, what's it called? Nightmares? Goya? Is that the painting by Goya? The stuff of nightmares? I can't Ooh, remember exactly what he called that it. That sounds familiar. But again, it's like it pictures, it, I don't know if it was actually Goya or someone else that did that, but he, there's like an image of a man, like a gothic era, Victorian era man, and he's fallen asleep at his work desk. And then you see the demons coming out. I know that painting. Yeah, yeah. It's a classic. I studied it in art history class. So there you go. Like, I, I didn't even make that connection, but you obviously did. So that's really cool. William Blake. Yeah, I remember that scene in Red Dragon where he just, he goes to the museum where the original painting is and he ends up eating it. <laughs> he like kills the lady in the... <laughs> Actually, I don't know if he kills her or if he just knocks her out. But. Good times, good times. That is so. Huge. Yeah, that's 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 so cool. I haven't even seen this image yet. You didn't share that with me. Ooh, huh? well, you're so. in for a treat. Well, we'll make sure then because sometimes we say we're gonna put stuff on our website and we don't. Okay, well, I 100 percent have this queued up for socials. Um, but okay, but we will put it up there. Um, cool. And you guys can Google it too, even right? Like Google. It'll William be the Lake. image of the week um, on the main page. Definitely will be. But it gets even better. Okay, so we get even more detailed descriptions of goblins. Mm. So in eighteen, in the same year, so in eighteen twenty, a spiritualist by the name of Emma Hard, Harding Britton recorded a, a description of mine kobolds Mm-mm. that were described by a woman by the name of Madame Kolodzi, <laughs> who stayed with friends named Dorothea and Michael Engelbrecht okay. in the year of eighteen twenty, and this was in Germany. In Ger- yeah, that sounds German. Okay, Engelbrecht. I don't know exactly where. Anyway, it's in Germany. It's probably in the Rhine area, I would imagine. That's like kind of their industrial heartland, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, possibly there or somewhere along the border with Austria mm-hmm. um, or anywhere in Bavaria, basically, mm-hmm. where, where there's tunnels and goblin stories that come Right, of. okay. Okay, so she was staying with these friends. Her husband was actually a mining engineer who actually had published several works on mining in the past and was a consultant and things like this. So Madame Kolodzi said that they had been hearing knockings repeatedly from the mine, and her husband had described this as well. And mm. he was telling 
his pupils when he was teaching in a Hungarian school of mining about these knockings and situations with creatures that were known as kobolds. So this is this is the knocker goblins. The knocker goblins uh, the again. The German version, not the Welsh version. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So in northern Germany, these knockings are quite common in mines, is what he would say, and they are of course attributed to these Berggeister or spirits of the mountain and mines. Cool. AKA the kobolds. Okay, wait, it's berg? Does that mean mountain in German? I believe so. I think so. Geister is probably like a spirit or like a. Sounds natural. like, yeah, like a poltergeist. Geister. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Okay, so, but the, okay, so they're away on this trip. They're staying with friends. The, the husband has heard them and seen them, and the wife believes in them, right? Mm-hmm. So they're away in this area, um, and they're near where there's a mine already, right? They witnessed, they claim to have witnessed along with three of their companions from the household goblins coming out of the mine. So this is a direct quote from uh, Madame Kolodzi, and it sort of reads a little funny because of the uh, European translation and stuff okay. here, and the dialect and whatever. Okay. On the uh, on the three days, three days after our arrival, said Madame K, we only heard a few dull knocks sounding in and out about the mouth of the mine as if produced by some vibrations of very distant blows. <laughs> But when, on the third evening, Michael, her husband, came home from work, he brought us the welcome intelligence that his friends, the kobolds, sort of weird phrasing, had promised by knocking to make us a visit. So that he had communicated with them and they were going to prove their existence, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. They were right glad of this, as Dorothea, um, our Michael's wife... Mm-hmm. had expressed her fears that they might be too shy of the so many strangers they would not actually appear unless we spent some hours inside the mine. Okay. We were about to sit down to tea when Madame Gronin, so another woman nearby, called out to our attention a steady light round and about the size of a cheese plate appearing suddenly on the wall of the mine entrance, essentially. Uh, uh, yeah, on the wall of the little green garden directly across the door of the hut where they sat. So they're essentially, they're in this little cottage. There's the mine across the way from them, very close by, mm-hmm. and then sort of this countryside okay. in between. Before any of us could rise up to examine, four more lights appeared almost si- simultaneously about what? the same shape and varying only in size. What? Are they talking about orbs? <laughs> Possibly. They were surrounding... Uh, surrounding each one was the dim outline of a small human-like Ooh. figure, black and grotesque, more like a little image carved out of a bl- of black sh- shining wood than anything else. <laughs> Dorothea kissed her hands to these dreadful little shapes, and Michael bowed with great reverence. As for me and my companions, we were so awestruck yet amused at these comical shapes that we could not move or speak until they themselves seemed to filt about in a sort of wavering dance and then vanishing one by one back into the mine. Flit. Not filt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> filt. <laughs> That's crazy. You know what that imagery is bringing to mind? Like this whole idea of like a halo of light reminds me of the Flatwoods monster. Yes. Right? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. So, that's insane. Okay, so okay. <laughs> we're getting all sorts of stuff here. So, okay, so we're getting mines. We're getting things coming out of the mines. What does this remind you? This is just reminding me of hell here. Yeah, it is, and we're going to talk about it. A little bit, uh, but not in this part. Um, That is really... Pretty interesting, right? Really interesting. And there's a little bit to corroborate this, too. Oh, really? Okay. This account would be not corroborated in terms of somebody else witnessing this exactly with them, but corroborated in the sense that there are these knocker gauntlets. So other German miners would sort of come to the defense of this story. Um, Mr. Wesk was this one guy's name, a wealthy and intelligent intelligent German gentleman of San Francisco. He actually related um, this account to the Berggeisters in a magazine um, from basically doing research on um, accounts from other German miners and stuff like that. And this was a quote from, uh, what did it come out in? The London Spiritual Magazine was what this article was published in. We know that the miners of Germany and the North have always asserted and still do assert the existence of kobolds and other berggeister or spirits of the mountains and mines, and that they assist or thwart their expeditions in quest in exertions. The quest, exertions in mm-hmm. the quest of ore, gold, etc., as they are irritated or placated. placated. Whoa! Okay, so that's that's great. So then you get it's almost as if the miners are recognizing that they are entering the realm of something else, yes. right? And that they need to 
recognize and then also respect that authority. Because if you don't, then um, these things can cause a cave-in or they could potentially cause like, you know, like some sort of um, gas, poisonous gas leak or something or whatever. And this idea of respect you t- you tied it in. What I, well, I didn't even think of it. You tied it into our last couple episodes. The idea of burials in caves, caves as portals to other places, to the afterlife, to whatever. It's perceived differently in different cultures, but there's connections to all of this. It's full circle. And I'm even getting a little bit weirdly metaphysical myself. Like this does make a lot of sense in a natural science sense of the word too like this idea of cycles rebirth regenesis we even get that with crustal plates right and tectonics and like everything's a regenesis it's actually kind of ironic they're not ironic but just kind of weird that in sort of more western sort of christian connotations it becomes this ascension to the heavens kind of thing but i think that goes about with like the sort of um layering of morality into religion to good bad um lower higher all that kind of whatever, definitely uh, yeah i would binaries. agree with that for sure this is so neat though these knocker goblins and like we do have a little bit more on like just general knocker goblins notes here but i think this is kind of the meat of it this this whole idea that like hey so miners in germany and the north have always asserted this this existence so we're getting people from our realm like not our realm our era yeah Or close to our era, Exactly. Like not hundreds of years ago. So when we, we're going to do part two, obviously, on this. And we're going to be getting into more 20th century um, as witnesses, phenomena of all this kind of stuff. Related to goblins. Exactly. We are going to get into the Kentucky region too. How that could possibly tie into the lore that's stemming from Germany, from Europe. Yep. And see if we can, exactly, see if we can make some connections there. Yeah. I, this is becoming, I, I'm almost like, oh, we could do like a whole month on this. Oh, we, we honestly could. We really could. Because there's so many different kinds mm-hmm. too. Um, hobgoblins, knocker goblins, Hob red cap knocker, goblins. All um, of them. Yeah. All kinds of different. And obviously the, the gnome association too, that we brought up with Paracelsus, Paracelsus and how yeah. the origin of the word goblin could possibly be in some circumstances, in instances linked to gnomes. Well, there you go. Knob, knob, right? Gnome, knob. And then even just, I love that um, pre-scientific era alchemist line of thought, sort of mystical line of thought of how there is this separation. There's visible, invisible realms of each of these sort of these elements and how this can really explain a lot of what's going on in, in what these miners are are claiming to be real what these what this lady what was her name madam k madam yeah madam kalodzi kalodzi or whatever and and her account i just there's something real happening here there's definitely a real it's not just fairy tales that's where i came from with this whole because like we got inspiration from all this talk of kentucky and hellier and all this kind of stuff where like started to dig in and once you start it's like this is there's a lot here, There's a and lot I more to it, did yeah. come from the idea that this is we're going to be talking mostly hairy fairy, like you know fairy tales. Yeah, but this is not. No. No. There's 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 a lot of real basis on this. There's a lot of real. If people like Paracelsus are are like you know like um <clears throat> taking the time to give their opinions on this, like I, I don't even yeah. like there's it's it's freaking fascinating people. <laughs> no, it really is. It it's absolutely really cool. Is. There's a lot to look forward to for part two here. Definitely. So like Amber kind of said, we're getting into, I'm going to give a little tease of what we're going to be talking about. Um, tunnel systems that have been discovered in Austria, Germany that are potentially there that are unknown. Mm-hmm. We don't know how or why they were necessarily built. Maybe, maybe the goblins stole the Amber room. That's why we can't find it. <laughs> Cause hey, I was just looking into this whole, there was some know. sort of Polish, excavation that was taking place this was back in 2015 that's why i'm not okay. sure what happened there but anyways but i mean we're getting into we're we're, he- we're descending into the depths of some potential goblin creations yep and also like amber said to goblin encounters in north america mm-hmm. and the possible connections between this historical development and evolution of goblins through folklore it being based on something very very real and then connections across the pond, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Did you, is, did anything else to kind of finish up with here? I think that pretty much teaser up. Um, of course, we want to give thanks to our lovely producer, Charlene Aramla. Thank you so much, Charlene. Yes. And all of our Patreon supporters. And you guys can join us on Patreon too, um, intotheportal.com forward slash, or sorry, intotheportal.com. Well, you can go to intotheportal.com and click Patreon. Exactly. And go to our link that way or 
it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's it. Do we know what, oh, we do know what film we're doing for Film Friday. Yeah. Uh, Primer is coming up this week. That's right. Mm-hmm. And who suggested that? Matthew Plum. Shout out to Matthew Plum. Thank you for that, that you know, suggestion. We totally forgot to give credit to Bradley Morris for we did for last film Friday. Oh well, thank you, Bradley. Because <laughs> he he did a couple really awesome ones. We did Dark City. That was his recommendation, and then as well, we have done this last one. So the, right. Um, oh my God, it's. it's Nightbreed. Nightbreed. <laughs> Nightbreed. Yeah, that was such a fun movie. I hope you guys enjoyed that film Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, uh, make sure to check out Primer and stay tuned for Friday. And we hope you enjoyed this part one on yeah. the lore of goblins. And stay tuned for part two when we get into some even more madness. Mm-hmm. Until then.